I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey everyone, it's Raghu and I'm back with another Mind Rolling and uh, quite happy to share with you this podcast that I did with Krishna Das and David Silver, both of whom were instrumental in the making of Brilliant Disguise, the Samadhi of K.C. Tuari. And we wanted to let everybody know, we haven't done anything like this where we talked about the making of the movie and the gestation of it and the particularly the closeness that uh, Krishnadas, the close relationship that Krishnadas had with this incredible mentor of ours from back in the day. And you really get a glimpse of what it was like for us to be back there with Ramdas after he went to India the second time round. And we all met Neem Karoli Baba and sub- subsequently K.C. Tuari, an extraordinary yogi concealed in the dress of the of a family man and headmaster of a, of a boarding school in the foothills of the Himalayas. So happy to share that. And David Silver, of course, directed this film and has some really interesting stories around his meetings with Tuari as well, KC. Also, at the very beginning, the podcast starts out with Krishnadas talking about the movie of me. And in reality, K.C. Tuari was the antidote to the movie of me, as you will see when you see the film. Uh, By the way, the film is available everywhere where you can rent uh, Amazon, Apple, Google, Vimeo, and others, uh, other platforms where you can go and just rent the stream really inexpensively. 
So uh, please take advantage of that. It's, uh, I have to say it is, I'm, I'm just really proud of the fact that we were able to do this and we had footage of him from uh, back in the day of Tuari. So uh, I, I would say you're, you're in for a treat. You are in for a treat, for sure. So I was saying the, the other thing was that Krishna started out talking about the movie of me, and those of you who have been to any of his events or seen him or heard his podcast, uh, he talks about how we are so subjectively uh, highly interested in uh, me, 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 day in, day all, the day long, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, as the Beatles said. And so I uh, also, many of you may know that we have a project going the, from the movie of me to the movie of we, I do with uh, Duncan Trussell, our podcast guru. And so Krishnadas was the inspiration of this, uh, these talks that we have. It's going to be an audio book, Duncan and I, over the last number of years. And uh, it's a beautiful little teaching that Krishnadas gives around the movie of me and the antidotes to it. So that's, it just starts cold right there. And I love the fact that, like I said before, the, the uh, antidote to the obsession with me, mini me, is, uh, is well spelled out in this Brilliant Disguise movie because that's really who Tuari was to us. He was, uh, he was, as I say in the film, he was our be here now awareness teacher. And it's that be here now that helps us to transform out of the me into the realization of the we. So here you go. No more needs to be said. This is Mind Rolling with Krishna Das and David Silver. And we'll see you next week. So yeah, the thing is, we wake up in the morning, we start writing, producing, and acting in the movie of me. And, uh, and then we write reviews, which we read and get more depressed. And the weird thing is that we also play everybody's part mm. in, in our own movie. Because we don't know who anybody is. All we have is our version of everybody and everything that we think is out there. But really, it's just our version. So I'm actually playing your part in my movie. The movie of me. And this is how our lives go by. And not only that, everything we do is part of this movie. And it all revolves around me, 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 me. It's all subjective. It's all my version, my own reactions, my likes, my dislikes. Uh, and it, it doesn't end. And at night when we dream, that's really a movie. You know, that's... And... Uh, this fits in a lot with what with, with what they call dream yoga and the idea that this that these our lives are actually a dream and that there's a place in us that's more awake, which we are not aware of because it's back and in. So we don't see that part. All we see is ourselves on the screen of this world and of our minds, our thoughts and emotions. 
you know, and, and, and there's nothing you can do in the dream to wake yourself up. That we, we, we fell asleep and we didn't set an alarm clock. And we forgot to tell someone to come in. We got to be at work at 930. Wake me up. But that's where grace comes in because the guru, our own Atman, our own soul, our own true self is already awake. And if we have those karmas based on the work we ourselves have done on ourselves, we get pulled back into that awake, awakened state for a minute or two every once in a while. And and that begins to break the the attachment and the identification we have with our with our stuff and our thoughts and emotions. That's why grace and or connection with 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 a teacher with a guru is such a so important because we're lost, we're asleep, and we're, we're dreaming, and we don't know. We think this is real. And of course, on one level, it, it's real in the sense that if we, if we decide to go play in traffic, we'll get hit by a car and get killed. That, that, that'll feel real. But doesn't it feel real at night when we're dreaming and we're chased by a tiger? We run. You know, we don't go, ah, I know you're not a tiger. You, ah. you know, and you're gone in the dream. So these great beings, what they are is awake. And we're asleep, and they're here to help us to, to wake up. Why? Because we they know that they are who we really are. They're they're antaryami. They're the living presence within us. So it's not outside. They're not doing it for somebody else. And since there's no self-identification for them, they're not doing it for themselves either. It's just ultimate compassion. It's just this nish, real nishkam karma, this selfless service, desireless action. I remember Maharaji once asked Tuari, so you're a Brahmin. Tell me, what does Krishna teach in the Gita? So, you know, Tuari knew it was a setup, but what could he do? So he said, well, <laughs> the main teaching is nishkam karma. Ha! You miserable Brahmins misleading the people. Only God can do nishkam karma. Oh. So I I mean, I mean, that's been rolling around in my head for over 50 years. What, <laughs> what did he really mean? You know, what did he really mean? Well, God within us, our true nature, when that's who we know ourselves to be, there is no desire behind the action. There's no need, no want, no lust, no longing for stuff anymore. Because we've we woke up, we, we you know, it's not that we became one with everything. We recognize the truth that we are one. Period. You know. So, but you know, the problem is that mostly we get born, graduate high school, drink some beer, and die, and that's it. It's over. We never wake up in a whole life. And if we don't wake up in this life, the next life is not, there's no guarantee either. 
So then again, conversely, if we're waking up in this life just a little bit, it's because we've planted those seeds. We have already tasted what it means to be awake. But the movie of me just keeps going on. And the me is never liberated. The me is never free of suffering. The me is made of suffering. But when we break the identification with the me, with the small self, the ego. You know, Ramakrishna talks about how the chanting of the divine name works. It's really cool what he says and what he doesn't say. What he says is that every repetition of the name is a seed. And the seeds get caught by the wind and they're blown around. They get caught on the roof of an old house between the tiles. This is, we're talking 1850s in India. So the tiles are clay and they're not super hard, you know. So over time and seasons, wind, sun, rain, the tiles begin to break down, get softer. At that point, the seeds of the repetition of the name begin to take root and the roots grow and they grow and grow and grow and they destroy the roof of the house and they keep growing. And they destroy the the walls. They destroy the whole house. Ramakrishna says that house is who we think we are. So, and what what are the, what are some of the things he doesn't say? He doesn't say it'll feel like this. He doesn't say it's supposed to feel like this. You know, he doesn't say you'll feel blissful. You'll feel angry. He doesn't say it's not about what the small self thinks it's feeling. You plant the seeds, the seeds will grow, the house will be destroyed. The belief and the identification in the separate self will be destroyed. And the clouds of delusion will be blown away and the sky is clear. And it's all open space everywhere. Presence, being. Maharaja's big form. Beautiful. Thank you. That uh, is a perfect uh, segue into introducing here David Silver. Thank you for coming, David, and of course, Krishnas. And uh, we are just talking a little bit today about the movie that uh, came out this past fall. It is the end of 2022 that we have been working on, had been working on for about five years, from 19, uh, 19 from 2017 <laughs> to, well, from 1969, yes, <laughs> or 1970 when we met mm-hmm. to write. Yeah. Uh, it's really been going on that for that long, but uh, it was from uh, 2017 till 2022. David, I believe, uh, David, who directed the film, and Krishnas and I took part in the producing and uh it was 2017 do you recall david that that's when you yeah. started working yes i think i do uh th- it was interrupted you know by various yeah things um, it wasn't as if it took solid five years but it, i i imagine it took a solid three years and um you know it, it, i've been thinking before the podcast what what was the magnetism of this for all of us and for me you know, I met 
Tuari twice in Westchester. Once in Westchester and once here where I'm sitting in my apartment where he came to visit me. And the impression he made on me was, you know, so huge for such a short sort of in, two encounters uh, that it never left me. And his his visual, his, the, the look of him sit in my head forever. Now, when you do a movie of this kind, which has lots and lots of archival footage, you're looking at someone thousands of times. And, you know, occasionally you get bored or crazy, it doesn't work out right, whatever. But when I was looking at Tawari in this film on my Big Mac here, um, every single time I saw him, no hyperbole, it had a, a flashy effect on me, like a flashy effect. It, it just did something to me, just like when I met him. So I considered it to be a great honor to work with him. I've worked with some terrific people in my life, but no one like him. Hmm. For starters, you know, um, I'll tell you a little story, if you don't mind, uh, anecdotally about him. When he came to visit me, he came with Radha and Dina Merriam. And um, I'm not sure where he was staying, maybe with Mohan and Radha, I think. And... Um, I was so like, why is he coming to visit me? Oh, I must be important. You know? And uh, he came with them. And as he stood on the doorstep here, I said to him, oh, I'm so amazed that you've come here. He said, well, you want to know why I came here? I said, yeah. He said, well, I want to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> and someone said, well, what can you, you can't do that here. Uh, but you can go to Silver's house. He smokes. <laughs> you know, that was his explication, you know. So he came in and he spent two hours here. And we smoked a few menthol cigarettes together. And in those two hours, I was overwhelmed, honestly. Not overwhelmed in a way of just not being able to breathe or something, but just how gentle, wise, and wonderful a man this, this is. Okay. Okay, so when he came next time, he did stay at the Baums. And there was a party, remember? Like a big gathering, shall we say. I remember in the kitchen there was a huge sort of bowl of chai being made for sort of 70 people. And there he was when I arrived, and, and he was in the middle of a group of people, and I saw Mohan at the door. He said, well, come in, you know. And I came in, and, and um, after a few minutes, he came up to me and said, I have something for you. And I, I don't know how long it was between these two visits. It was a couple of years, I think. At least, yeah. Yeah. And he brought out a 70-page, rather dog-eared document written by an English military captain. And he gave it to me. And he said, this is the real story of Shirdi Sai Baba. Now, I had told him previously that I, I loved that saint and had read 200 books about him and so forth. I didn't think he'd remember. Not only did he remember, but he brought this thing with him and gave it to me. I remember we were in the lobby of the, of the house he handed it to me and he said, now read it. Now there's a party going on with all my favorite people in the world, you know. And I, I said, now? He said, yes, now. And he pointed to a small bedroom and pushed me in there and closed the door. So it took me however long it takes to read 70 pages of typed material, probably an hour and a half or something. And then I came out and found him. And I was holding it. And I said, this is so kind of you to give this to me. He said, no, 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 not, not give. Give him me back. <laughs> and I, I gave it back to him and he said did you read it carefully I said yes I did he said well I remember how much you love him mm. and then he was turning him and then he looked back and he said you know Maharaji held this document he held it in his hand mm. 
Glad you read it. That concatenation of, of, of events really did change my life. No exaggeration. I mean, I was just mind blown that he remem remembered this person in America and brought this thing all the way from India. And it was a great treasure. And then gave it to me and, and then took it back. And it was inevitable that I would want another connection with it of a deep kind. And the way I got it was by helping make this film. Mm. David, do you remember the name of the guy who wrote that? No, you know, on my walk this morning, I was I was hoping you wouldn't be asking because it was like that Captain Tree. Atengdi? Atengdi? No. No, okay. It, it was an English name. English and it was, it was some dude who'd been there. And 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 cheered and and had some kind of darshan with him, and then written this whole thing based on talking to wow. all the people in the village. Beautiful, yeah. incredibly well written. But that was my interest. And then to be involved in the, a, a film about such a wonderful being. I mean, Katie, you were talking about a movie of me, and if any could, if anybody could break it for you and yet not hurt you with that, it was him. And in my small conversations with him, he broke the movie for a minute, turned off the projector. And you went into a real space with him, even though you can't call it samadhi. That was not what it was. It was just camaraderie of an incredibly deep and beautiful kind. So for many of you who are listening and, and have been with Krishna Das, who has talked about Casey Tuari many, many times over many, many years and really uh, spent more time with him than any of the Westerners. And there was a few of us that spent quite a bit of time, people that went to India. And of course, he came a couple of times to America. And um, there's no way of overestimating the power of the transmission that was no transmission. As you just said, David, it wasn't just... We were just hanging. It was a community. We were hanging out. We were being with the family. A family was such an important thing, and uh, it, it, of course, in the movie, uh, you see that in one, at one point early in the film, where the story is told about Maharaji telling Tuari to take care of the Westerners, and he he really did that, but. Um, to me, aside from all the incredible, marvelous, deep spaces that we got into with him, the the power of prayer that uh, he, uh, I've never seen anybody display this kind of, when he called the deity, the deity came down. I mean, it was just extraordinary. But And and you talk about it in the film, Krishnas, a little bit about the just the family, the, the way in which you particularly, because you live with them, more than anybody, the way that you were integrated into that family and the difference between what we have mostly grown up with in the West uh, was pretty extraordinary and a, a very powerful. Can you just talk about your relationship there? Yeah, well, first of, first of all, you know, I would most of the time I would just sleep in the living room on the couch at first at the beginning of my time with them and people be walking through the room all day all night and it didn't bother me it was the weirdest feeling when i was home and growing up i needed a lock on the door you, you don't you <laughs> walk in that door without without knocking you're gonna get shot you know it was like but 
that was completely absent from this family that it was all open and free and everybody was very at ease with themselves and they all went through a lot of crazy stuff i mean but like Sharad, who i was most closest with the oldest son he had a lot of early, in the middle part of his life young and early part of his life he had a lot of drug problems he was a very wild guy and um but you never there was no judgments i mean it was it was part of the family and and nobody it was all everybody knew everything you know it was it, you know i mean in with three generations of people living in one room okay not not this family but you can't there's no secrets you know and uh, and uh you don't need and then as i recognized that i didn't need to keep secrets and I didn't need to pretend to be anybody. I could just be me. It was so liberating. Mm. And I mean, and of course, Tuar took it to the ultimate extreme. You know, I mean, by the end of, uh, we would sleep in one bed and Ma would sleep with the kids and Mrs. Tuari. And, you know, Bob would get up in the morning, like around 3.30 in the morning and go pee, come back to bed, sit down, boom. You know, gone in samadhi for hours and hours and hours. I would like turn over and go back to sleep. Not once in, uh, I knew them from like, say the mid seventies, not once for 22 years. Did he ever say to me, like, maybe you should meditate or even would you like to meditate? I mean, not once did he, and I now, I, I understand that better. I mean, at first I was really upset that he never, but it had to come from me. And if it wasn't coming from me, it wasn't coming. It was okay. He didn't have an agenda for me that unless I, I wanted it, you know, so, and there were times he did things, you know, like he put me in Samadhi a couple of times. He raised my Kundalini a couple of times, almost killed me, but you know, uh, <laughs> you know, choking to death, you know. And uh, we were in, we were in, in I had brought a, a girlfriend to India with me. Uh, and I'm laughing because um, I know this story. Yeah, but so we were in, uh, usually Tawari and I would stay in the same room all the time, but now with her, he's, I got him in a room next door to us. So one morning I got up and I, went to the other side of the room to kind of meditate or whatever I pretended I was doing. And all of a sudden, you know, something I could, and I was like choking. I couldn't swallow. I could barely breathe. I'm like, but I knew it was okay. I was worried. But she had never seen anything. She ran into the room, burst into Tuari's room, and he was just sitting there and said, she didn't even say anything. He just went, don't worry. Everything's okay. Go. Like that. (laughs) I mean, he he knew what he was doing. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a funny story. I don't remember if it's in the movie or not, but at first we weren't very close with Tuari because of KK. Was that in the movie? Did I tell that no, story? No, no, I don't think so. Because KK and Tuari had Brahmachari Maharaj, who was a great saint and was Sombari Baba's reincarnation. Yeah, another great He saint. was the teacher and the guru. Before Maharaji showed up, of Tiwari and and KK, 
And when, when, when Brahmacharya Maharaj left the body, he left some money with one devotee who happened to be KK's nephew with the instructions that that money was to be used to build a Shiva temple at KK's Kuti. And so years and years went on, but uh, the temple was never built. Nobody, it wasn't, KK was angry at Tuwari because as the eldest devotee of Ramachari Maharaj, it, KK felt it was his responsibility to make sure it happened. And he kept on talking to Tuwari about it, but Tuwari would avoid, you know, and then not do anything. And, you know, so KK had really bad things to say about Tuwari. He was very pissed off at him. And that was transmitted to Ramdas and to the Westerners. And so even though we went to dinner at Tuwari's in 1971, we did not have a good connection with him at that time because of KK. But the way the story played out was that many years later, I was in Kenshi with Tuwari, Casey, and KK shows up. And he comes up to Tuar and he says, I know, now I know why you didn't have the temple made. And Tuar just didn't say anything because the, the money had been given to KK's nephew and KK's nephew had given it away to his sons mm-hmm. had spent it all. And there was no money left to build the temple. And KK looks at Tuar and said, and you knew this. And Tuar just went, you know, yeah. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me all these years? Tuar said, would you have believed me? <laughs> and then KK broke down, weeping. Mm-hmm. And then he went off and made us halva, alu, alu halva, with about 10 pounds of ghee. <laughs> and we had to eat it. And we had diarrhea for weeks after that. I mean, it, was <laughs> un- it was just unbelievable. Mm. But that was the way Tuari was. He was very, he didn't interfere with things usually. He let things, uh, of course, that's not always true. I, I think every situation was different. Mm-hmm. Without Tuari, I would be I would be dead now because I was addicted to free-based cocaine. And I was not going to make it. And Tuari came to the West. First, he went to Canada. And so I flew in from California. I spent the night in New York at my father's place smoking free base. And I got on a plane to Canada. I drove out to the townships. I walked into the room where Tuari was sitting with Sunanda. And Tuari had his back to the door. And as I walked into the room, I felt this like force field. I, and I actually started to back out of the room. And he turned and he looked at me and said, "New." Promise me now you will give, go, give up cocaine. Promise me now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I couldn't say no to him. So I said, okay. And from that moment to this moment, the desire for cocaine has been completely gone. From mm-hmm. that moment to now, there had never been, you know, cocaine, shit, maybe shit's better. I don't know. Make It's gone. And he did that. They did that. He and Maharaji and Mon. They all because without that, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here. I would be dead. Mm. So he did. He did do what he had to do. 
and he did it in his own way. And he knew much more than he let on. Some of which he had the dar- of- he had he, he had the darshan of all the gods. I mean, he had these experiences. Mm. He told me once, and the other thing he said, like he said in the movie, he said that Maharaji never taught him anything mm. with words. He taught him everything in his dreams. Yeah. He told me he had this dream once. Yeah, he, this golden yogi appeared to him and was showing him how to unlock the chakras one by one on, in order to leave the body consciously at death. And they got about halfway up and Maharaja shows up and goes, eh, what's he showing you? What nonsense? He they got about what use the shit is this? It's just like this. And to I it was gone. It's <laughs> not the dream. The yogi was gone. Mm. <laughs> oh, so great. Uh, let me interject here that everybody listening, of course, uh, wanted to let you know that you can watch the film easily now on all the different usual, in all of the usual, pla- on all the usual platforms, being Amazon and Apple and Google Play and Vimeo. So uh, for actually for a small rental fee, you can stream the film. So that just happened. Uh, in the last couple of weeks. So I want to let everybody know that. Um, so, you know, because you're talking about how Tuari in that moment really helped you with that particular addiction. At the same time, kind of this, uh, uh, it's a funny story. But um, he came over, uh, actually, we were all living around Westchester County, Krishnadas and, and Mohan, our other friend, and Radha. And, but he came over to where Parvati and I were at the time. And we had a, I had a cave down in the basement that was uh, like a meditation room. So we were all down there, and he suddenly says, okay, we should smoke some charas and offer it to Lord Shiva, which char- charis meaning uh, marijuana. Hashish. Hashish, Hashish yeah. Uh, and which is uh, the prasad for the god Shiva. So <laughs> Krishnadas, who <laughs> does not smoke. Uh, did you smoke in high school? Maybe you smoked in high school. Some pot uh, you know, I smoked in college a little bit, but yeah. I didn't like it. Maybe paranoid. So yeah, right. So he never did it. But Tuari insisted that we all participated and it was like, you know, offering the people were doing it. So he wanted to make sure it was being offered in the correct manner, you know, as an up level to the way that we were recreationally using it and so on. So he made Krishnadas do it who didn't want to do it. Krishnadas passed out for about six hours. <laughs> then, but no, no, I don't remember. He we passed it. I remember him passed the, the chillum around. Yeah. And we were supposed to do puja. We were there. We were going to do a puja. Uh. So they passed the children. And I took a hit. And then I said, okay, when are we going to do the puja? And they, everybody looked at me like, what are you talking about? We just finished four hours of puja. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it was. It wasn't a pass yeah. out. It was a pass through. <laughs> I was just gone. Absolutely uh, gone. Yeah. So he, yeah, the non-judgmental part. He had no judgment going on about anything, although he would. Uh, from time to time, do what he did with Krishnadas when it was really important for somebody to get a message. Uh, and you talked about uh, meditation and the fact that 
and this happened to all of us, he'd be going on or he'd be sitting for hours and he never made any kind of move that would indicate uh, there was any judgment that we weren't doing it, that we were asleep or we were whatever. Uh, but in, in the film, actually, this is from the film. It was, it was such a great thing. He was, and what happened is that uh, there was a part where Kabir, who, uh, Kabir Das, part of our community, satsang, he's the one who, who had taken this incredible footage of Tuari uh, in and around Kenshi, mostly around Kenshi. And um, part of what was happening is KC, Tuari, was sending messages to various people who were back in the West. And he wanted to record it so that he thought Kabir would then show it to them or share it with them in some way. So there's one particular individual. Uh, let me just read the, the, uh, the transcript from this. It's actually pretty phenomenal. He was saying to them, I would request you to meditate and observe, observe things in the right perspective. And you have always been trying to hold on to things. I'm telling you not to hold on to things. Let them come and let them go. Flow. Be free. And every time you are caught, and he said, and now you're caught with me. You think that I'm something, but no one is supreme. There is only one supreme. So don't try holding on to things. Let things come and let things go. And, and what to teach you? You're a great teacher. You know more than me, so I request you to be more meditative. Not the type of meditation that is concentration. Meditation is not something to gain power. It's not business. It's a way of life, just as we eat, as we drink. So many things in life, in the same way, we should make meditation a way of life and not attach to it. Concentration is a power game. That's an incredible teaching right there. And I, I love that, uh, making it a way of life. And that's the way that we, when we hung out with him, he was constantly in the center of that, of uh, allowing things to be on one hand, but always being present. I mean, he was always present. I think I say in the movie, he was like our be here now instructor without you know, I mean, he was, again, in the movie, uh, I can't say how many times he came up to me and he would come up to other people and screw the screw back in on the side of our head when we were way off base. And he would say things like, my boy, if you think you are doing it, you are lost. This was like, it was like Mr. Natural. You remember Mr. Natural from... from <laughs> Uh, the the comics from the old days. Yeah. What he used to say to me was, my boy, is there something wrong with your brain? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the other thing, though, that's interesting to note uh, how this film came together in that it really did um, depict a little bit of what it was like for us back in the day, being there, being with him and being with Maharaji and uh, how that happened. And uh, Kent 
not inc include, which we did at the beginning of the film, the reality of what Ramdas did for us and how he he was a, f a funnel that funneled us into this extraordinary being named Karoli Baba, but then around him, these other beings that had such a powerful effect on our lives. And, uh, you know, it's been three years and change since Ramdas left and KK left just after that. Um, yeah, maybe just talk a little bit, Krishnas, about, uh, you know, how that was such a definitive factor in how we got to where we are today and how Ramdas really was a catalyst. <clears throat> Well, just like with all of us, there's uh, better parts and parts that aren't so good. And when I walked into the room where Ram Dass was sitting the very first time that I met him, I just walked into that room without a word being spoken, without eye contact. The minute I walked into that room, I knew that whatever it was I was looking for, spiritually, so to speak, was real. That it was in the world, that you could find it, and that it was real. And that was life-changing, absolutely mm -hmm. life-changing. And as I got met Ramdas, then I began to project onto him that he was that, that it was him. But as we got to know him better, we, under, we began to understand that it was Maharaji coming through him. Mm. And there was a long period, you could say, of Maharaji coming through him, uh, despite Ramdas identifying with his own stuff. And then, by the end of his life, after the stroke, and as he continued to surrender to Maharaji's presence and his being, that other stuff disappeared, and by the end, the difference between what was coming through Ramdas and how Ramdas saw himself was very small, very very mm. small difference, and yeah, it truly overcame. I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the egoistic delusion because. Before that, you know, he he had doubts too. Like one time, uh, Mondays was the day we used to go to the beach to swim because it was the only time Ramdas could be free of the weight yeah. of his body when he was in the salt water. And so, but I would I would always catch up an hour or so later because I got up later and I did my things. And so, so this day I got to the beach and Ramdas. I was on my way to the beach. I saw Ramdas sitting in a car in the parking lot, all alone. And the door to the his side of the car was open, the passenger seat. So I walked over, and he wouldn't look. Didn't look at me. He just was like looking down. He was stewing. He was like, mm -hmm. so I kind of knelt down outside the car, and he looks over me. He goes. I'm a fake. And he looks over and he said, and you're a fake too. <laughs> so I looked up at him and I said, yeah. 
but we're real fakes. And he just exploded laughing. I mean, mm. he just, it was so great, such a great moment. That was my favorite thing to make him laugh like that, you know. Mm. When it just, he would just explode with laughter. But there was that part, you know, where he really, there was still some, some worry that he was making it up in his own head, you know. But mm -hmm. that was gone by the end, and mm -hmm. by the end of his life, he, it, he, it's so hard for Westerners to, because we hate ourselves so much, you know, crabs, when they're in a bucket, if one crab starts climbing up the, the, ed, the inside of the bucket and almost gets up to the top, the other crabs drag it down. And we're like that. Mm. Because we hate ourselves, we see that the miserableness in everybody, and we don't. We very hard for us to believe that a Westerner could really, really get it together like this. Mm. And but Ramdas really did. You know, mm. It was quite yeah. beautiful. Yeah, David, you have that. Uh, uh, I love that story in New York City with Ramdas. I, I remember one night out on the street. Do you remember that story? Oh, yes. Um, hmm. It was after um, Bob Marley and the Whalers performed at the Beacon Theater. Oh, oh yeah. Where were, you all were there with Ramdas. Yes, yes. I went with Ramdas. And I was working with Marley at the time, so I was getting used to him. Although one of the things he did do all the time, which is sort of... Re similar to something you said before, Katie, that whenever I actually did smoke with Bob, which I'd many times, he would make me go through a certain ritual. Um, one was putting the joint here hmm. for a while, up to jar. David, man, you don't just smoke, you know. <laughs> and it's the same thing, you know, that given that imprimatur of knowledge and wisdom immersion you know you 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 got to use it i mean katie you said in so many of your talks i love it every time you do when someone asks you a question you know there seems to be a wall that people come to and they don't know what to do or say or whatever and and it all comes down to practice not that you're didactic about that but you know it does that the laying on of practice of glimpses that you've had as you know <laughs> The poet T.S. Eliot called them objective correlatives. Fancy way of saying a moment when everything comes together. Mm. And that's what I'm with. That night, actually, after the, um, after the whalers performed, we walked out together and uh, round, you know, at that part of, of Broadway, there's a, a, a divider with plants and things in the middle, you know. You don't go there. You go on the street. You don't go on that part, you know. And Ramda said to me, come come with me. And we ran onto the thing in the middle with the grass, and he started leaping and dancing and screaming for two blocks. And I did too, because I thought, well, this is the thing to do, obviously. And, and he said to me later that evening while we were eating, he said, I've never seen anything like that. That was that was just so so full of the divine, which made me feel so great, because I felt that way about Bob, you know. But it, that was a thing where he, 
like you were saying before, Katie, about the doubt that even he had that time when you knelt outside the car. This was one of those moments when you could be a human being and enjoy a human thing and go to a concert and listen to a, a, a world megastar, whatever you want to call Bob, and have both things going at the same time. And I noticed, I saw it in Ramdas's leaping and dancing, that he just flew out of his normal self. He didn't care whether people on Broadway were looking at him. He had no concept of that. He was just overtaken by the music, the beautiful reggae music that that Bob did. What a moment taught me something. I thought I was uninhibited, but I was very inhibited. I was sort of jogging along behind him, going, whoa, whoa. You know, I didn't know what to do. He was just so out there, you know. That had as much of a, a an effect on me as anything ever in my life because it showed me how inhibited I was. And I wasn't, I would have just come out and said, well, I took a concert. I liked the way he did One Love. Great one. And then the sheriff was driven. And then go home. You know, didn't, Ram Dass never thought of that. He just wanted to celebrate this, this sort of sacramental and yet very normal human doings. I mean, you know, to go back to Tawari, he would do that too because he would joke around a lot, or at least when I was with him, a little bit, you know, he'd joke around and, and make you feel, and laugh, make you laugh. And, and when he's in the film, he talks about, um, no, we didn't ask anybody to do anything and people would go on with their nonsenses, he said. I love that plural. <laughs> he said, they're going on with their nonsenses. We're not affecting them in the ashram. We're not telling them to do this or not to that. They can make love. They can do what they want. Mm. He saw it all as divine play. And I mean, God, I just feel so lucky I wasn't there with you guys and I by osmosis somehow shared this. Mm. What a miracle. Because like you were saying, Krishna Das, you know, when he told you no more pre-basing, you know, the effect of all of this on me has been maybe similar in a way, just no more waste of time if you can possibly help it. And of course, you can't stick to that every minute. But when you meet someone as, as truly charismatic as, as Casey Tuari, who just infects your whole life, I see him, I, I see him. I'm not a person that has visions or anything, ever. But I see him all the time because he really made a deep impression on me. And, the, you know, and the little feedback we've had about the film, uh, quite a few people who don't know anything about any of this, who went with someone who does, you know, to one of the screenings in, in probably in L.A. or California. You know, some of those people didn't know who Maharaji was or anything. And yet the film, because of Tuari talking, had a deep effect on them. They wrote to me and spoke with a few of them on the phone. It, it just was... Um, Darshan, for people who didn't know what that word meant, even. Yeah. And so, you know, what's amazing is how much footage we have. You know, how many times do you have footage of someone like this, you know? I mean, yes, if they're a famous, you know, guru or, or something like that, yes, it's footage. But if a man that was a school teacher in a northern India, to have all that footage that Kabir Das took was a miracle. And when I saw that footage originally, you know, in 2017, I said, yeah, there's a film here. Because I can watch things on TV where they're doing a serious documentary and they've got like four photographs that they use, you know, an American greed. You know, it's just four photographs they have of the murderer that they happen to have. That's all they have. The rest of it is just conjecture or experts. Mm. Here we had at great length KC talking about just about everything. That made my heart jump out of my mind. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. What a privilege. How rare. And actually this started... Uh, Probably around 
15, I would say, when I was going to India and spending time, and Krishnas has mentioned, with Shara Tuari, Tuari Casey's son that we spent the most time with uh, uh, in those days. And I don't know how, I don't even know if I knew that Kabir had this extraordinary footage. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I do remember saying to you, Krishnadas, we should do this. And I started uh, just, you know, recording different interviews with Sharad in and around Kenchi. And then um, uh, Krishnadas, uh, if you remember when we were in Kenchi, probably 2017, 18, something like that, uh, somebody was there, uh, a good friend who's no longer with us. Steve, with a really good camera, and we went to the back of one of the, uh, called the White House, actually, and started recording, you know, our experiences with Tuari and so on. And that was the genesis of, of this film being made. And maybe, maybe we did. I think you knew, Krishnas, that Kabir had uh, some video of Tuari that, um, you know, that was taken around late 80s, early 90s. And that formed, of course, the backbone for this. But um, as I said to you not more than a couple of weeks ago, I am so happy that we were able to put this together with a lot of help from various people, editors and so on. Um, The way that it came and what you just said, uh, David, where people who had no idea who this man was and maybe went with somebody who did know or just was connected through Ramdas and and really got what that word means, darshan, being in the presence of. Um, that, uh, yeah, that's really wonderful. Uh, probably the best feedback that we could get. Aside from the delight of this man, he was, uh, with everything else, his incredible, deep spiritual nature, his wisdom, but the delight of just hanging out with him. I mean, we would look forward to going to India and just hanging out, even if, uh, you know, he'd be doing his all-night puja. And I, like Krishnadas, I would end up on, on his bed and he'd just go to sleep here. You don't have to be involved. You don't have to be here. We'll do it. We'll see you in the morning. You'll have your chai. I mean, nothing, nothing that we should or should not be doing anything. The, you know, the, the strongest thing he said to me that was a should or shouldn't, I went to India with my mother and I ended up going on a, on a pilgrimage, just she and I and Tuari through the foothills of the Himalaya. And, but at first, she first came, we were in Kenshi, and we, so he arranged that we should get with Ma, Siddhi Ma, and, um, and we did, and we were having darshan, and she was exhausted from the travel and, you know, the plane ride and coming. We had just been there a few days. So as she was sitting there, she put her feet, let her feet, instead of being crossed, her legs rather, being crossed, pointed towards Sidima. As soon as she did that, inside I went, <gasps> I mean, this is like, you know, not done 
you know, you do not point your feet at a holy person, you know, in India. And I, I was finally, Siddhima said, oh, you're very tired. Go take rest in your room. And my mother said, oh, thank you. And off she went into, the, into her room, into our room. And then Darshan was over and I walked out and I was like, I can't believe this. You know, I was like so, so <laughs> crazed. And Tuari said, are you out of your mind? This is absolutely uh, ridiculous that you should, I mean, however he said, it, he didn't say it in those words. He just berated me for judging my mother in that moment. You know, I mean, it was just, it was the most, um, the most he ever did uh, in terms of uh, any kind of sort of disciplinarian <laughs> word that would come out of his mouth. Uh, yeah, he as I, I said, oh, and I said in the movie at the end where people queried me about it, he was the greatest human I ever met. So they go, wait a minute, what about Neem Karoli? What about Maharaji? I said, well, that was not what I would call, I'm talking about people. You call him a human being. Yeah, right. <laughs> Meaning that there's no, in this being, there was no no longer any polarization whatsoever. There's no me and you anymore, you know, absolutely. Whereas Tuari may have been real close to that, but there was still a place in him that, that was a part of us in terms of the me and you. Is that, how do you understand that, Krishna? Yeah, I mean, I, I, Tuari was Maharaji's disciple. Let's put it that way. That's all. Is mm. mm. Maharaj's disciple. Mm. Not mm. completely free, but but at one time Dada, I was at Dada's house <laughs> and I was reverencing and respecting him a little bit too much for his own <laughs> comfort. So he stopped, he looked at me and said, Krishna Das, he said, maybe I'm a step or two ahead of you, and maybe you're a step or two ahead of someone else, but we're all on this shore. <laughs> Only he's gone beyond. Mm. Uh, just to everybody, Dada Mukherjee, another one of our mentors, we, we were so fortunate, K.K. Shah, K.C. Tuari, Dada Mukherjee, Siddhima, I wouldn't even put in that, that she was also gone beyond. Uh, but uh, we were very fortunate. And uh, those of you, uh, to me, some of the greatest, uh, two of the greatest books, particularly a book called By His Grace, which is Dada's story of meeting Maharaji and, and being with him for many, many, many years, is uh, one of the, in terms of really un understanding in any way what this great being is, is that book. So you can find, we'll put it in the show notes and all of that. So you can find that book and, and all of what we're uh, ref referencing here um, about uh, these great beings that were instrumental to help us on, on the path that we were, we stepped on in a very, very early age. Tripped on and fell on them. Mm. Mm. 
tripped <laughs> tripped over <laughs> ourselves. Right. Right. Well, thank you, you guys, for being here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this, this, this film is such a, I just personally am so happy that, again, I've said this before, uh, privately and in public, I am so happy that we made this film and made it available. And it really speaks not just to this extraordinary human being, it speaks to our experience with uh, Maharaji Nimkaroli Baba. And, uh, yeah, urge you all to, to, uh, to go out there and take a look. As I said, it's available on all of the streaming platforms uh, from Amazon to Google to Apple and Vimeo. So uh, it'll all be available in the show notes if you want to just get a, a couple of direct links. And, uh, and thank you, David, for the perseverance that you showed there was a lot of dicey moments in trying to put this together and tell the story in, a, in, the, in the right way. And uh, so I truly appreciate that. Well, that's, you know, it was such a collaboration, this, I mean, to say the least. Everybody finding different things at different times, but the main thing of all that footage of him, the foresight that you guys showed on Kabir does for sure. When I asked him, you know, did you know when you were filming this that someone so many years later would look at it and everything. He said, no, mm. I just had to do it. I was compelled to do it, which just shows the, the sort of force of that, the, mm. the obviousness of how wonderful and, and instructive and everything else we've said about Mr. Tuari. He knew to film him and we're happy to give that to everyone now and say, give it a shot, you know, give yeah. it a shot. See, see how it affects you. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and the great stories from Kabir. One of my favorite in the film is is how he got into a car accident with Tuari in the car and another French Tanya in in Vermont in the winter. It's a wonderful story and so fun. <laughs> yeah, and then Jai Utah tells some great stories too, miracle stories that happened to him that are also really quite wonderful. And then Radha and Parvati and Sharda. So it uh, it's it's very rich in all of that. Okay. okay, thank you. Wonderful. This is uh, you. yeah, been a great experience, and everybody tune in to uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com. You can, uh, Krishnas has a podcast up there, and uh, many of uh, other of our family of wonderful teachers. And we'll mm-hmm. see you next week. Safe travels, Katie. Safe travels. Yes, yeah. off to thank India, Krishnas yeah. goes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.